your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians in Cafe, anyone following along on video or audio podcast. Take a Bible and open 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to sort of follow up on what we started talking about last week, how missions matters because eternity matters. Missions matters because eternity matters. What we have at stake here with the gospel are ultimate stakes. Which is why I continue to be really disturbed by the, the, the death of the 26-year-old young man named John Chow. Y'all followed that on the news at all or, or seen anything about that at all? John Chow was a young man passionate for the gospel who heard of a group of people on a small island in the North Indian Ocean called the Sentinel Island, I believe, North Sentinel Island. Um, there's a tribe of people there that are completely untouched by civilization. They are living as they have lived for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. I mean, absolutely living as primitive, untouched people. They despise outsiders. Uh, they're dangerous. Everybody knows that if you land on the shores, they try to kill you, which means they've never heard the word of Jesus. They've never heard the gospel. They uh, are, are completely unreached, untouched. John Chow found that intolerable. He could not live knowing that there were those people dying without the gospel. So John Chow prepared himself and went. He, he prepared himself in every way that he knew to prepare himself. He prepared himself uh, for language, even though he couldn't speak their language. No one speaks their language. He learned everything he could about the languages of surrounding people so that he could go and live among the North, North Sentinel Island people and speak their language and, and, and tell them about Jesus. If, if you follow the story at all, you know that he landed on the shore and they killed him. They buried his body in the sand. It's, it's interesting, though, to hear the story told and to follow that story in the news because um, if you listen to our, our mainstream media tell the story uh, or if you're reading the stories in, in the papers, um, they portray John Chow like a fool. As a young, naive, foolish man who uh, couldn't just leave people alone, that, that's sort of the way the, uh, the, the secular uh, folks tell the story. He should just have left them alone. They were fine without the gospel, fine without him, fine without anything from the West. Uh, he was risking their lives, they say. He could have taken diseases that these folks had never been exposed to and wiped them all out. He knew that. He prepared for that. But again, he gets no credit for his preparation, only portrayed as a foolish young man who seemed not to know what he was doing. He, he knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew the risks of what he was doing. And he went to the most dangerous place on earth, prepared to pay the ultimate price, and, and he did pay the ultimate price. And it's funny how people don't understand that. And even church people, even people like us, we, we hear that story, we think of that young man, we realize that he could be any of our sons or daughters or he could have come out of any of our churches, and, and, and we wonder about him. We worry about him. We wonder if it's really worth paying the ultimate price. And I just want to remind you that it is. It, it is. It, it is worth paying the ultimate price for the sake of the gospel because the stakes are ultimate. We're talking about lost people. We're talking about people who don't know Jesus and really, really need to know Jesus. Do you understand? Lost people. We're talking about real people. You and I used to be lost people, and, and that's always the irony here. We used to be like that. We were outside of Jesus. We needed somebody to tell us about Jesus. The gospel came to us on its way to somebody else. I mean, that's how it works. But, but it's funny how, especially in the United States, once you're saved, once you come to Christ, 
you soon cease thinking about lost people. As a matter of fact, some of us don't think much about lost people at all. I mean, we're saved, we're going to heaven, we're in church, and we just seem to forget that there's a whole world of people who don't know Jesus. And the fact that we don't think much about lost people, it's a tragedy. It's, it's devastating. Which takes me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We just forget what's at stake. Now this passage in itself is not necessarily a missions passage. But I want you to read with me. I want you to understand what's at stake here. And I want you to understand what it is to be a person who has no hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 13 and read into chapter 5. This is good, good stuff. Listen and be encouraged. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, even so, we believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever, so encourage each other with these words. Now, Concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things. Dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you're all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and the night. So be on your guard and not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the hope of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his wrath upon us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. I read this passage most often at the graveside. Funerals. Chapter 4, verse 13 and following, I, I've, I've got it memorized. I've read it so many times at the, at, at the graveside. We don't want you to grieve as others do who have no hope, Paul says. I love that passage. I love the part about the trumpet call of God. I love the part about how the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord together with them. And we shall be with the Lord forever. I, I love that. The, the thing is... Since I read it so often at gravesides, and then I just read it for you, there's a difference. I mean, obviously, when you read that at the graveside, everybody's listening. Everybody listens. 
Yeah. Some of you were listening. You were in and out looking at your turning pages. But I'm telling you, it's different. You listen differently at the graveside. <coughs> Everybody listens differently at the graveside. Now, this passage, as Paul writes, obviously he's talked about these things before. You'll notice in chapter 5, it's kind of funny. He says, now concerning how and when all this will happen, we don't really need to write you about these things. I'm thinking, yes, you do. I mean, yes, you do. Yeah, all my church people, these are the questions they ask. How, when, you know, what? Paul says, I don't really even need to write you about this. I mean, his assumption is everybody knows either that or it's beside the point. You know what you need to know. You know enough. But we don't feel like we do. We don't feel like we do. And honestly, those questions about death and dying and what happens after we die and what happens to those who are dead and how does it all work and when does it happen, those are questions that are there all the time. The problem is we're not always asking them. We're not always concerned. We're not always that interested. That's what I mean. When I read it on a church on a Sunday morning like this, you're in, you're out, but I'm telling you, at the graveside, people listen. That's when they want to know. That's when they're asking. I guess the way it works is that there's some answers to the questions, and even as they come, you don't really listen to the answers until you're really asking the questions. And Some people just don't ask these questions until it matters to them. But one day it matters to you, and this is what you need to understand. One day it's your turn. One day it's you. Standing at the graveside, putting somebody in the ground that you love. One day it's you. One day it's you hearing bad news at the doctor's office. One day it's you making a trip to J.C. Kirby to plan the funeral service. One day it's you laying out clothes, picking out a casket. One day it's you. And when it's you, then you're listening. Then you're wondering. Then you really want to know. What, what, what happens when we die? What happens to those who are dead? How does this work? And the thing is, with, with church folks, the thing I hear more than any other statement, anything else you say, and, and you folks say this all the time, in those moments, at funeral time, in, in times of grief, in the worst times of our lives, you all will inevitably say to me, Pastor Tim, I don't know how people do this without the Lord. I don't know how they do it without the Lord. But because it's different for believers, it's different. It's all different for those of us who have the faith, hope, and love that comes from the gospel of Jesus. It's different for us because of what we know, but because of what we understand, that we shall not all die, Paul says. We're not all going to sleep, Paul says, because one of these days, Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, some of us will still be alive. So we're not even all going to die. That's good news. I mean, that's what Paul is saying. I mean, he's going to come like a thief. The way labor pains come on a pregnant woman. I mean, you sort of know it's supposed to happen, but you have no idea when. And then, boom, it, it happens. And some of us will still be alive. We'll still be alive. But now, we're not going to get to heaven before those who have died ahead of us. That's what Paul says. We don't get to get in line in front of them because the dead in Christ will rise first. You understand that? If you know Jesus, death is not death. You're going to rise again. You're going to live again for eternity. For whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Remember? Well, that's real. That's real. That's something true. We're not just reading Bible verses here. That's a moment out of your life. You're going to live again. You're going to rise again. 
I don't ever really understand how or, or, or when. I don't really understand how God's going to call your atoms back into existence. I just know that he will. It's going to be amazing. We're going to be caught up in the clouds. I mean, caught up together in the air with the Lord. That's going to be awesome. I mean, that's just going to be amazing. Can you even imagine the trumpet call of God, the sound of the archangel? Jesus steps out and calls his home. And we're raptured, taken up together to be with the Lord forever. Paul says, remember this, remind each other, encourage one another. That's good news. My goodness, at, at every graveside, let's read that. Let's remind each other of that. And every moment when you feel like it's the end, you need to understand that it's not the end. There is no end. You have eternal life. Everlasting life. That's why Paul says we don't grieve like others do. Because we know things, we have things, we possess things, we have promises, we have faith, we have hope, we have love that the world does not have. How in the world do they live without Jesus? How do they live without hope? How do they make it without faith and love? How? Because they don't have it. I mean, that's sort of the thing that Paul's emphasizing here that this passage is intended to encourage believers but the flip side which keeps coming back is this isn't true for everybody we don't grieve like others do who have no hope I mean when, when we say that we encourage each other but I just want you to stop and recognize the truth of that there are people who grieve desperately and hopelessly they have nothing to look forward to. They have no good news. Now, they may live their lives for the most part not thinking much about that. It may not bother them much, but I'm telling you, there will come a day when they will need hope and they won't have hope. This is what Paul is saying. It's, it's like the whole world's asleep, he says. Everybody else is asleep. You're not asleep like everybody else. But again, understand the flip side of that. I mean, it's great to realize that we're children of the day, not children of the night, but the world is lost in darkness. That's the flip side of that. Now, some people would hear what I'm saying right now and say, that, that pastor right there is narrow-minded. He's, he's closed-minded. He's saying that, that, that the world is lost and only Christians have the truth. That preacher right there is saying that the whole world goes to hell except just the people who believe like he does. I mean, this is how the gospel sounds to those who are outside of Christ. It sounds like we're narrow. It, it sounds like it's just us and, and, and nobody else, and it sounds arrogant. But you have to understand, I, I'm not being arrogant, and I'm not being narrow. I understand, and I'm fully aware of what other world religions teach. They don't teach anything like this. So, so it's not that all roads lead to the same place. They don't. They, they don't. And it's not that all religions basically teach the same things. They don't. If you say that or believe that, you obviously haven't studied world religions. They don't. They don't say this. They don't teach this. They don't offer this. So, so this is something unique right here for believers, but, but that, that's the point. The salvation that comes in Christ is for the world. It's not just for people who are like us. It's not just for people who live where we live. It's for the world. Jesus loves the world. He came and died for the world. Salvation is for everyone, but the only ones who receive it, the only ones who will be saved are those who hear the message, believe the message, 
and want it and accept it for themselves. They have to hear it. They have to believe it. And then they have to want it. You have to want Jesus. You have to want life. You have to want faith, hope, and love. You have to choose it for yourself. So understand, it's, it's not that we're exclusive. It's not that we're saying that it's just us and nobody else. It's just simply that not everybody else has heard. Not everybody else believes. Not everybody else even wants this. So, so in, in many, many cases, people are excluding themselves. In other cases, we exclude them because we don't tell them. But the important thing to remember is that some people are excluded from this. There are people who grieve without hope. There are people who live without Jesus. There are people who are dying without Jesus, and that matters. And it makes a difference. I mean, there are real benefits to knowing Jesus. You understand this. Every time you say, I don't, people, I don't know how people live without Jesus, that's your recognition that, that, my goodness, knowing Jesus, trusting Jesus, having Jesus, that makes a difference in your life. It makes a real difference. There are benefits to knowing Jesus in this life. Not even to mention the life to come in this life. There are things that believers have. There's a difference that Jesus makes. And I wouldn't want to live without Jesus. I wouldn't want anybody else to live without Jesus. There's a real difference Jesus makes. Now, if in your mind you're thinking, I don't know about that, Pastor Tim. I don't know what difference Jesus makes. Well, obviously you don't know Jesus. But does it bother you that people don't have faith, hope, and love? I'm not sure you know what faith, hope, and love are. Real benefits to knowing Jesus and real consequences if you don't. Real consequences if you don't. <coughs> Philip Yancey tells a story about uh, a, a group of people. This is not a made-up story. This is an actual group of people. When someone dies, they have the most amazing and interesting burial custom. This isn't ancient. This is today. They gather at the graveside. They dig a hole. And they put the person's body in the hole. And without any words... They all pass around these tiny little pieces of sweet candy. Tiny little pieces of candy. And then all together, they put the candy in their mouths. And they wait. And then as you know, in just a matter of minutes, the candy dissolves in their mouths. And that for them is a reminder that that's how life is. It's sweet for a moment. But then it dissolves, and it's over. And they push dirt in the hole, and they all walk away. I've had a friend for over 40 years, an atheist from an atheist family. kept up with my friend all, the, all, th all through the years, elementary school, high school, all the years since I keep up. So I noticed in the paper when <coughs> my friend's father died. My friend's an atheist, <coughs> father's an atheist. Obituary in the 
Daily News said his name, that he had died at the medical center. Give the names of his parents who had also died and named the places where he had worked and listed his wife, and daughter, and son who were still surviving. Then it just said at the bottom, there will be no funeral or services of any kind. At the bottom, there will be no funeral or services of any kind. You know why there would be no funeral when an atheist dies? Because, because there's nothing to say. Because there's nothing to say. You might as well just put a piece of candy in your mouth and let it melt and dissolve. Life was sweet, but... There's, there's just nothing to say. And so I've heard you, my friends, say over and over and over, I just don't know how people live without Jesus. I, I, don't, know how people, I don't know how people face these things without Jesus. Well, can I just remind you that they shouldn't have to? Can I just remind you of that? That, that they really shouldn't have to. Paul reminds us here that, that the rest of the world is more or less asleep, that they're asleep spiritually. Now, a person who is sleeping, no matter how hard they try, they just can't open their eyes, they, they can't rouse themselves from the sleep. And, and Paul, of course, is talking spiritually here, that, 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 that the world that doesn't know Christ, it, it, it is as if their eyes are closed. It's as if they really aren't aware, that they, they don't respond to spiritual things. So spiritually, they're asleep. Now, Paul reminds us, you're not like this. Your eyes are open. You should be thinking clearly. You know exactly what's happening, but the world doesn't know. that They don't understand. Now, that, now that's the truth. And what Paul is saying here is meant to remind us that, that our lives are different, and therefore we can encourage each other. But I just want to use the same passage to, to sort of remind you that there's a whole world that's asleep. Now, Paul talks about the coming day of the Lord, this, this horrible day of God's wrath, and he says that it's going to come unexpectedly like a thief. Now, he wants to encourage the believers to say, now, it won't surprise you because you know he's coming. But I want to remind you that the truth still holds. There is a world full of people who really don't understand that this is what's happening. They really don't understand their future. They don't understand. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be no escape. Now, again, Paul is trying to encourage believers, but this won't happen to you. But I want to remind you, this is going to happen to the world. I mean, this is the truth. Everything is peaceful and secure, people will be saying, then disaster falls. So we're talking about a world of people who are more or less asleep. They don't understand that disaster is coming, that there is an axe poised to drop. It's, it's hanging over their heads. It's like the whole world is asleep and the house is on fire. And it becomes our job to wake them up. It becomes our job to spread the news. It becomes our job to make sure that people don't have to live without Jesus. It's not enough to wag your head and say, my goodness, I don't know how they do it. Do you understand? They shouldn't have to do it. They shouldn't have to do it. They should not be sleeping in a house that's on fire. They should not be thinking that everything is peaceful and secure when it's not. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, the scripture says. Do you not understand this? 
I know how we can encourage one another because we all know it's coming and the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to be caught up in the clouds together with the Lord in the air. But you don't understand. There's going to be a world of people left behind. I don't know how people live without Jesus. But I don't know how we live knowing that they are living without Jesus. I know that Paul says comfort each other with these words, but when you read these words and you keep noticing what he says about the others, the, the others who, who have no hope, the others who are asleep, the others upon whom God's wrath will come, I mean, suddenly, now I, I know it's comforting for us, but how can you be comfortable? You can be comforted in the gospel, but how can you be comfortable as long as you know that there are people who are dying without Jesus? How can you be comfortable? John Chow, 26-year-old young man, just found out that there was a group of people living out there who didn't know the name of Jesus, and he did everything he could possibly do, and in the end gave his whole life. And he actually knew it was bound to happen. He knew it was bound to happen. But he was determined, determined that before he died, those people would have some witness to Jesus, some chance to hear the gospel. You understand? A young man who could not just sit comfortably in a pew, he could not just sit here and wag his head and say, Lord, I don't know how those people out there are going to make it. I mean, he was not comfortable doing that. He said, if they're out there and they don't know the name of Jesus, then I've got a purpose in life. And if I die trying to take the name of Jesus to them, then so be it. I would rather die trying to tell them about Jesus than live knowing that they don't know him. You understand? There's not something wrong with John Chow. There's something wrong with the rest of us who can live so comfortably, so peacefully. We can have the merriest Christmas ever as if, as if there is not a whole world of people who live without hope who live without faith, who are sleeping in a house that's on fire. I don't know about everybody else, but as a church, I can't think that we're doing enough. I just can't believe that we're doing enough. First off, in, in a church where we have hundreds and hundreds of people on every single Sunday, hundreds and hundreds of people that come to church at Woodburn Baptist Church, and then in a church that has hundreds and hundreds of people, we will only baptize, you know, 18, 19, maybe, maybe 20 on a good year. How is that good enough? I mean, for a church full of people that just don't understand how people live without Jesus, obviously we're able to say that without caring. We notice that they don't have Jesus, but it really doesn't bother us enough to, to see to it that maybe they find out the good news about Jesus. I mean, we can say those words and never cross the street into the trailer park. It's just right there. It's just right there. You understand? Woodburn is a very, very small community, and in 150 years, we haven't led Woodburn to Jesus yet. I mean, let us sink in. 150 years, Woodburn Baptist Church being in this location, and in 150 years, we haven't even reached Woodburn. Very few of you live in the Woodburn zip code. Y'all are foreigners. You don't understand. 
you drive through a community that does not know Jesus and and somehow we manage to do that. We let people die and go to hell in the very shadow of our steeple. And it doesn't bother us. I mean, I know Bible school once or twice a year, we'll go invite their kids. But it really doesn't bother us. It really doesn't seem to concern them. I, I can't possibly think that we're doing enough. And I know that $55,000 for mission sounds like a whole lot of money. but And it is a whole, it, it is a lot of money, but. much is a lot? I mean, how much is enough? What could we possibly do with money that would be more important? Oh, I know we're going to need new carpet in this room really, really soon. How important is this carpet? How, how important is all the things that fact is, I, I don't know how people live without Jesus, but as long as we are here, they shouldn't have to. It's, it's an offering that we're about to take. I mean, it's an offering. You mustn't imagine that you put money in the plate and then you get to walk out and not have to worry about it. Yeah, we give money because everything about missions requires money. Everything, all of it requires. I mean, you can tell the folks right around you about Jesus for free, but, but, but most everything else that it requires costs money. So it costs a lot of money. But, but beyond just raising the goal for next year, why, why don't we find ways to, to actually begin becoming an evangelistic church? I mean, why don't, rather than just trying to fill the offering plates like today, why don't we talk about trying to fill the baptistry every Sunday next year? Maybe I should have to preach every single su Sunday in rubber boots. Paul says, uh, I want to talk about what happens after you die because I don't want you to grieve like others do who have no hope. There is a world of people that have no hope. You and I know where hope is found. How can we possibly be comfortable as long as they're out there and we haven't told them, we have to tell them. Pray with me. Lord, I pray today for John Charles parents the last word they received from their son Lord was from a letter that he wrote them the night before he died and in the letter Lord he said I could die tomorrow and if I do so be it God he was so ready so ready 
to die for you and die he did. Lord, I pray for those parents who also paid a high price in giving their son for the sake of those people that they will never meet. I pray for his friends and all those who love that young man and who have suffered by watching his name be slandered publicly. Lord, it is not foolish. It, it is not foolish to care enough about people to see that they have heard the good news about you, oh Jesus. It is not foolishness. Lord, help us as a church to have our hearts stirred for the gospel. Help us, Lord, to recognize what we have in you. Help us to understand the faith and hope and love with which we live and take for granted, Lord. Help us to remember where we were when you found us, Jesus, so that we care enough to go back to those places and bring them in. Lord, I pray for our church as we give this offering this weekend. Lord, I pray that we reach our goal. I pray that we exceed our goal, Lord, but most importantly, I just pray that we begin to have a burden for the gospel, a heart for the world, a heart for lost people. Oh, God, help us today to find comfort in the gospel, but let us never be comfortable as long as we know that there are people out there who haven't heard the gospel. Bless us, Lord, with encouragement and strength and faith and hope and love, Lord Jesus, but disturb us. Break our hearts. Break our hearts, Lord, for all those things, all those people that break that great heart of yours, oh, God. We know that you love the world enough to send your son to die. Help us, Lord, also to love the world enough to go ourselves and to send our own sons and daughters until every man, woman, boy, and girl knows your name. Oh, Jesus, we love you. We pray to you. We ask you, Lord, to send us out that the world might be saved. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.